Hi guys, my name is Kush and welcome to the About Us podcast. Throughout these podcasts, I'll be interviewing people from all different types of backgrounds and cultures with a view of celebrating the accomplishments to inspire you and the next generation. This month, I sat down with Sonia Barlow, the founder of the global community Like-Minded Females. Sonia has been recognized as a rising star in 2017, UK Tech Business Woman of the Year finalist 2018 winner of the Pitch Fanzine 2019 and Tech Woman 100 finalist in 2019. Her LMF network is a community dedicated to reducing inequalities, providing a foundation to help women and underrepresented individuals succeed through life skill workshops, digital training, and providing a supportive community and access to expertise for everyone. She's also the founder of her own diversity consultancy and specializes in inclusive cultures, change management, and confidence in the workplace. She's also spoken at a couple of TED Talks, and uh, I'll be able to plug this in in my comment section below, as well as the description of the podcast, and lastly, on my Instagram profile page. So definitely check those out when you get a chance. It was really good catching up with Sonia, and it's obvious she's really passionate about enabling inclusive cultures, educating people on life skills, and empowering confidence in all to achieve your personal goals in success. I also want to give a little shout out to a couple of Aussie mates who's been pushing me to continue these podcasts, uh, Joel and Jess. So thank you very much for that. And uh, I hope you and everyone else listening to this podcast during these challenging times uh, are well and your families are safe. So I wanted to thank you all for your support so far and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Sonia, thank you so much for your time. Um, I mean, given the situation we're in, I mean, we've decided to meet up on Zoom. So, um, you know, we had a quick introduction before we kicked off. And, you know, it's the first time we kind of connected, which is really cool. But again, it was, um, I really appreciate time and taking your, you know, busy schedule as it is uh, already and kind of just working around that so we could just connect and, you know, shed some light and stuff. So thank you so much and welcome to the podcast episode two. Awesome. Thank you for having me. No worries. Um, so I think like we were just discussing earlier, but essentially I just wanted to understand, you know, um, I'm looking at the LinkedIn profile now. There is a lot of stuff I want to go through, of course. I mean, you have a TED Talk. Um, you have achievements which I'm trying to scroll down to as we speak, but it's it's nonstop. Um, if I'm not mistaken as well, you um, had an award, uh, winner top 10 at We Are The City as well, which I'd love to touch on. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's an amazing CV and you know what you've done. So I would love to just understand maybe from your perspective, how did it start? Where did you grow up? And you know, all that good stuff. Okay, so how deep do you want me to go? As far as possible, because the, the main thing is I want to understand, you know, your journey, what might have inspired you to take the, the view you've taken now or the lane you've taken out. So um, it would be just great if you could probably expand. I mean, uh, anything goes, I guess. <laughs> no, okay, well, that's good to know, right? Um, on a level of one to deep, I can get deep, so it's good. So... I moved from Pakistan to England with my family when I was around four, uh, turning five. So my background is Pakistani. Um, genuinely, we came to this country with absolutely nothing. Like I remember being a child, not even having a sofa to, to sit on. I remember my dad hustling quite hard and my mom 
hustling equally as hard within the household and, you know, raising two kids and two kids turn into four kids. Um, and I guess your question being, where did, where did it come from? One part of that was because I was the oldest in the family. And for those who don't necessarily understand culturally, when you're the oldest of a family, you have a lot of expectations, responsibilities plugged on top of you without even realizing. So, you know, um, kind of comments like you're the role model or you're the head of the family or you're the first X, the first Y. And without knowing so, I took a lot of that responsibility on myself. And so from a young age, I've always worked really hard and I've always wanted to thrive. And I remember from a very young age, all I knew is that I wanted to be something and I wanted to make a difference. What that was, I didn't quite understand. But since I was young, I remember thinking I've been put on this planet to make a difference and to make the world better. That I have younger siblings and younger cousins. You know, now, now for example, a young niece, that I have to create a better world. And I'm sure a lot of uh, kind of, um, you know, families or, or people listening that come from cultured backgrounds would understand that sentence. You know, I came out with great GCSEs. I went and got myself into a grammar school in sixth form and I truly struggled because I'd come out of a landscape where I worked hard into a, into a landscape where everybody was working hard and I was no longer the, the A star student yeah, or the kind of the one that the teachers shone to. Um, when I was in sixth form, I was bullied quite heavily and that's something that I'm now comfortable talking about, but I didn't used to be before. And I remember it really pivoted my kind of mindset. Um, and I was like, okay, well, I, I have to get to a good university because I owe it to my family, because I owe it to my situation, because I owe it to myself. And then I went to university and I struggled so hard in my first two years. I think I've always been quite like a righteous, equality-driven person, but I didn't quite understand that sentiment, especially when you're growing up in quite a traditional or Asian family so yeah. I think a lot of the yeah. things that I wanted to say often came across as uh, or didn't come across as well as they could have and being the oldest I was trying to create that communication bridge between me my siblings my parents and and the wider kind of community if I just wanted to uh, the, you just said something quite interesting about you know the university pressure because I I I understand that I wanted to understand from your perspective was it more parents kind of telling you that you know this is what we expect or was it on yourself because you know I have an older sibling and he's done he did really well he went to Warwick etc so it was already you know at the back of there like you need to be there you know um, so I'm quite interested like was it yourself doing it or was it like a bit of environment like you said you grew up as the oldest in the house um, so inevitably you need to set an example right um, so yeah, I don't know what 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 actually happened. Like, was it forced? I wouldn't say forced, but you know, told beforehand. Great question, and the answer is no. So the one thing my parents have always been very great at. So for them, it wasn't a matter of status or symbol. It was just my child has finally got an education which we lacked in, so they can stand on their own foundation. That extra pressure of what university or what degree was I put on myself? because of other external pressures that you have and the factors that played into it. So my first two years at university were difficult also because that's when I was bridging the communication with my parents. So really good example being in my first year, my mom and dad were like, you can't live out. Um, I went to university in London and they were like, but we need you home at 7 p.m. 
So imagine, you know, you finish university at six and you go straight home. I had to negotiate and I literally mean sit on a table with my father and negotiate me going out to like parties and clubs. And he would come in and then pick me up at the end of the night. And I don't mean the end of the night. I mean like 1130. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the end of the night is not 3 a.m. It's 1130. And he'd literally be standing outside. But now in hindsight, I really respect that because, you know, not a lot of parents would drive for an hour to come ch- pick their child up from a party and, and kind of take them home safely. So your point being kind of how do I get to the place that I'm at? So long story short, um, I had a year abroad in Italy and that's the first time that I'd ever lived at my house and I was ever alone. And a lot of my morals and values were tested. And that's truly where I kind of transformed and bloomed in this person where I came back and I didn't want to be around toxic people. I was a lot more confident in myself because I'd been able to prove the kind of person I am living out. I had a good view of the world and most importantly, I learned from other people's cultures and their communication. So things which I thought were quite deep, my housemates would be like, we don't understand the problem. And so it gave me different perspectives and mindsets. Because I was like, maybe then it isn't as kind of important or it doesn't have as much weight as you did. Yeah. But equally, everything, you know, I still stayed really true and close to my family. Yeah, that that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I looked at the the background. And so, I mean, I apologize. It keeps cutting out for some reason. but. Um, your what happened was what well what i want to jump on is, is the move to where well, i mean when you went abroad was again like was it a massive culture shock just like you know working as as it is you just said it was the first time you left the house you were living alone no and... it was the first time i slept out of the house wow okay that's crazy <laughs> it wasn't leave it was at the age of 2021, 20, I'd never really slept out of the house. I've never really been to a sleepover. I hadn't been to really like trips that you go on as but, a child or as a teenager. So did you just like, you needed to do this kind of thing? Was that the thing? It was just like, I need to do something that kind of pushes the boundaries in that sense and just change my environment? Yes and no. It was also about understanding your circumstance and then being able to pivot. I specifically chose my university and its course because I had a placement year. And so I was adamant that I would take a placement year. For those who don't know, a placement year is where you work in industry. Yeah. I never even realized that there was something called Erasmus where you could go and study abroad and live in a different area and, and meet new people from different cultures. And so when that option came into play, I remember thinking, well, I'm going to work for the rest of my life, but I'm never going to have an opportunity where I significantly go out of my way to live with new people, to meet new people, and to be by myself. And uh, believe it or not, I basically had to build a business case and very much propose it to my parents for them to be okay with it. And at that point, you know, they had evolved. And I I 100% believe that my parents are extremely open-minded and very understanding, given the circumstances they've come from. At that point, I'd not only kind of proven myself and my grades and my stature and the kind of, you know, woman I was, but also my parents thinking had evolved and they'd realized that they have to allow me to experiment and explore because that's the only way that we are going to evolve as kind of human beings and as, you know, decent kind of people of this, of this universe. And I think that's how deep it got is we want you to go out and we want you to try and we don't want to kind of cage you in. And I think a lot of especially Asian families feel like by caging their 
kids on behalf of kind of brown people right now because that's that's the culture I come from yeah but I know it's across kind of most culture groups is you know even like kids feel like they are caged in that's not really going to help you in the future it's not going to help you grow but if you're in that journey together where you're communicating and you're kind of bounding yourself and you're um you're you're you know going and taking those steps together hand in hand and at the same time allowing someone to fail and enabling them and picking them back up a far more supportive both community and family and friend bond and I think that's really what my kind of parents got to and yeah you know that significantly changed my life and I say it to this day is if anyone can travel or study abroad or even take a week to go and explore a new area they should how you think is not how the world thinks I agree so and then uh, I'm uh, I'm assuming um, after this, the the kind of break, or you went to Europe and came back, and you know it kind of, I, I assume, broadened the horizon, and you kind of understood. I guess there's more to it than that, and I think you felt a lot more confident, like you said, in yourself and what you're doing, and you know things like that. So, I mean, I'm going to take it to your TED talk. I mean, you mentioned the first few minutes, like you know, you mentioned about failure and stuff, and how. Um, for anyone that hasn't checked it out, I'll probably put it in the link for, you know, when I, when I send this out, but essentially you said, you know, you got a job, um, and you didn't pass probation. And one of the the things is like, you know, it's exactly as you said in your talk there on, on, on the Ted talk is that you just don't even want to talk about such things. It's kind of a cliche, you know, like it's expected everyone passes probation. Like it's just, a it's just a formality, you know, that's all you hear about it. Um, but, you know, when people don't even want to understand or know the circumstances, it's just like, it's a cliche to talk about it, even if you fail it. And I felt really, it resonated with me because um, when I, when I was studying essentially for, you know, getting to university, I didn't, I didn't get the grades. I, compl- I completely messed up my A-levels. Um, and I just remember like, it was such an emotional time. And I had to get in through university through clearing. So when you said that, I kind of understood exactly what you meant. But it turned out to be the best time. Like I loved everything about it. It changed my perception on what I was trying to achieve. So I think maybe if you could probably expand on that, like, you know, you got out of the, the, your master's or your Erasmus kind of exchange um, program and then you found a job. But what exactly, what was the job and, you know, um, what actually happened? Like, if you could expand on that. Yeah. So firstly, I had absolutely no idea that I was going to fail. So I walked into that very much like, it's fine. I've I've got this in the bag. And so when I left my university, my first um, kind of real worldly job was I was doing media and insights analytics for um, FMCG world, which is fast moving consumer goods. And so I had, um, in the first three months, as, as anybody does, I kind of, you know, went through this onboarding process. I didn't necessarily know my rights as an individual, and especially an individual in the workplace. And I yes-manned a lot, because I think when you start your first job, that's what you tend to do, because you don't want to annoy anybody. Um, and you also want to kind of absorb. I like to absorb things in. But I remember that I think there was a lot of miscommunication between me, my managers, and my cohort. Um, for one, the office that we were in was not a part of the head office. It was actually kind of 
on the other side of London. And so we didn't have that communication link between what the other grads were doing and what I was doing. So I think I had a lot more admin to do versus a lot more kind of hands-on and practical work. The second thing is my fault and one of my failures is I didn't ask, I'm very curious as a person, but I don't ask for help. And what that means is I ask a lot of information, but I like to prove that I can do things myself. And so I think within my first three months of being a grad and working in the workplace, I now in hindsight and reflection, it was, I just did a lot of things myself and I didn't want to ask for help because I thought asking for help is a sign of weakness. And then thirdly, um, I think personally, I had a lot of, I had a lack of preparation. And so these are things in hindsight, right? So I walked into that probation meeting feeling like, yeah, I've got it. I've got nothing to worry about. I walked out and I ran to the bathroom and I was like, what's just happened to me? Like what you said is really, really key is that failure helped you change the perspective and it's the best thing that's happened, ever happened. Actually, now I think about all the success I've had. So that's like my stepping stone to get there. Like I have to get something wrong or it has to be wrong. But actually a failure is a point of pivot. It's what you need to do for you to innovate. It's what you need to do to try again. If I acknowledged all the failures I've ever had in my life, well, my network wouldn't have started. Uh, And again, it's, I think for me, my life has been that my first stepping stone will be something that knocks me down. So it's the same thing. Like I felt after my failure, I felt it came to a point where I didn't want to feel that issue again or that problem. So it's kind of like, I don't want to get into that situation again. And, you know, it, it just, I, I took university seriously, you know, even though I got into clearing and stuff, I was just like, I was going to, I was the guy that was going to lectures with like a book full of, uh, sorry, a bag full of books. And I just looked like an absolute idiot, but it just, it was that thing of, I do not want to get into that spot again, or that feeling again. Um, and it's it's just funny the same the same way you explained um, what happened to you as well, but did 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 work essentially tell you like oh um, you know this is the the issues we have with you how did what is it what was the conversation like was it like a bit constructive was it you know this is your problem you know it's quite interesting to understand what actually happened and then maybe w- what spurred you um, again referring to your TED talk you said you know, it, it turned into a thing of, I can, I can walk away. It, you know, I can just leave as soon as possible, or I can actually, you know, um, as a, a woman of color. And then that in itself is two issues. And the fact that you're a woman firstly in like, uh, a, an environment, which is already, you know, heavily male biased and, you know, it's, it's against, it's against you in every shape, way or form, as well as the fact of, you know, you've come from a different background. So, what was the conversation like and in that sort of meeting and what actually happened or what did you, what did that happen in terms of the journey going forward? Like what, what, what is the, the catalyst, I guess? Yeah. And that's, that's a great question. So I don't think it was a very constructive conversation after I had failed personally, because I don't think the people I was surrounded by were as effective as they could have been. But what I did do is I went out to my ally across the company. So the few kind of people that I'd interacted with or I'd started to build a decent relationship with, honest and saying, look, I failed. I'm not, I'm not quite sure where, where I where I went wrong, but I definitely know I went wrong. Here's what I did. How can you or can you help me to to get things better and get things rolling? 
And more times than not, they said, yes, that's fine. Come with us, practice, and we'll kind of lead you through that. So that steep learning curve, you know, within kind of a month of learning, I learned more in that month than I had in the three months of being there. And that went back to the point of like, I asked for help. I really acknowledged where I needed to progress. And and that's where that thought came from was I could quit now or I can just carry this. And I'm not, I'm not a quitter. And what I realized about myself is I'm a disruptor. I like to go into um, areas and situations where I shouldn't really be there. And I like to kind of disrupt the norm, find the bugs and then try and create a new solution and something that's more efficient and effective. Of course, it's a learning experience. But to your point, that was the catalyst. It's when you start self-reflecting and understanding where you're good and where you're bad or can improve, you kind of, you really shoot yourself and you, you thrive. And my other point would be, don't focus on your like weaknesses. And like, I've always had a voice since I was a child. Unfortunately, that's one thing my parents did is they never, right? For everybody else, that probably wasn't the best thing. But for me, I had an opinion. Well, they also made sure my opinion was justified. So now being in technology, being in business, being an entrepreneur, I realized that actually my voice is my, is my secret weapon. And so now that brings me to the point today where, you know, I've, I've, I very much left a a really good paying job in technology to start my own tech business. And that tech business didn't that the the vision for the tech business didn't work really well in the first month and now in four months i've gone from having zero businesses to two businesses under my name which is amazing um and then <laughs> maybe maybe you could just expand like um obviously i've, I've read i can read all about this stuff right but it's yeah. just it's a different perspective to understand maybe your you know what what does the business do um i mean it's it's a it's from what I've read about it, you know, you're educating a lot of people or females that are working in that sort of space, uh, giving them uh, the tools necessary to, I guess, uh, equip themselves in bettering themselves and kind of having a career that is going to be fulfilling and, you know, things like that. So you've basically gone from the other side of being someone who's actually working in that environment, but then at the same time, now you've changed the completely the whole complex of actually educating people that are in that space. Um, well, after this, I'm going to send you an ambassador pack because you okay. can be our person after what you <laughs> shared. And yeah. um, so kind of long story short, I think I mentioned earlier on that in 2018, I started this network. It very much was exactly what you said in the packet. I, I The first thing is you have to understand, I've never thought of myself as a woman or a woman of color in tech until people started putting that label on me. I just walked into tech as here is I'm a person and I'm a technology, Right. And so when people started putting labels on me, I was acting towards me differently. And at that point, I didn't quite know who to go to. I didn't want to go to my managers or my colleagues because most of the issues were with them. And so I wanted to venture out. In 2018, we could join membership clubs. We got to one membership club and they were like, yeah, you can join, but it's £1,500 for the year and £50 for every event. Like, I'm made of money. Like, are you, are you crazy? Why are we spending so much money to meet people and to learn? And so overnight, I think I just got really mad. I was like, I'm just going to make it. So I literally just made a closed LinkedIn group with the 200 connections I had, invited them, called it like-minded females, um, which my kind of other half kind of jokingly said as a name. And I was like, that's a great name. We should stick. Made a brunch two weeks after, got to the brunch, super excited, thought it was going to change my life. And then no one showed up. Wow. Right. 
No one showed up. So it was just me, 10 plates of food, a table for an hour, Dewey sitting there looking at me, crying my face out and just like stuffing my face. And then she even took me for an ice cream after because she was like, you're just so sad. I want to go and cheer you up a little bit. And something cold and, you know, yummy will help. (laughs) But the point being, so that one concept of I need to provide a community it challenged me. And like we've spoken about everything I've ever done has been failure has been the first stepping stone. So I failed. So I went back to drawing board, sharing content about how you can upskill yourself or news articles I'd read. Something really basic is here's a great news article, share it, showed up. And there were my friends because I asked them to come. The third brunch, one person showed up. By the fourth brunch, 20 people showed up. So in 2019, without even realizing, I personally upskilled 900 people. I engaged with over 12,000 people. And then that was as a hobby. So it got to October, November last year. And due to kind of circumstances, both within and outside of my control, I decided I'm just going to take the leap of faith. I've just, I'm just going to take it full time. So November, I take it full time. December is a dead month because everyone's off for Christmas. Sure. January, we get in. So January, 2020, we get in. I had a few workshops lined up. People were feeling it. There was momentum. Awesome. January, end of January, I lose my passion. It was never meant to be commercial. It was meant to be a not-for-profit. It was meant to be a forum where women and those who identify as underrepresented individuals in the space of tech, business, entrepreneurship, diversity, confidence can come. We can come together. We can learn from each other. We can upskill you. We can build a sense of community. But most importantly, we can help you to find that confidence within and really thrive. That's what it was meant to be. And so end of Feb, I was like, actually, the diversity consultancy, the public speaking, the workshops I do are under my brand name. Like-minded females is going to transition into LMF CIC, LMF Network CIC. We're going to be a not-for-profit, a social enterprise. At the same time, we were actually launching a chapter in Toronto, you know, out of nowhere. Someone was like, we want to launch a chapter. I was like, yeah, that's great. I saw that when I, when I Googled or looked at the Instagram, I was like, LMF uh, Toronto. I was like, that yeah, yeah, no, I'm like also really crazy and impulsive. So that's a whole different kind of podcast in itself. And then March was meant to be our first great month. Like, you know, we had like 20 corporate workshops lined up. We had events lined up for the LMF network. We were going to make this big announcement. You know, I was getting my admin in order and then coronavirus hits. And here we are today. But that's the journey. And do you know, the, the, the beautiful thing is that is a journey of an entrepreneur that is a journey of someone who really wants to make a difference that's the journey of someone who has disrupted and at each time with when I get thrown a curveball I'm like firstly I get squished by it and then I go back and I jump over it I'm like right how can I do this again without it without it hurting me so much so the the what I, what I probably want to understand how what what happened with the first business that wanted your you know your I guess the help or what you were offering so I think what I wanted to dig into and maybe give the listeners a bit of an idea of obviously you started this social enterprise, but what was that first, like, you know, you marketed yourself, et cetera, but what was the first um, interaction you had with the brand and like, what was the conversation like and what did they want from you kind of thing? And how did you feel? So, so one of the first brands that ever got in touch with me. Um, so a really solid point to this is 2019, I started my year as, okay, I'm going to think like a man. And what that basically meant is any opportunity that comes, if I think I can do 20% of it, I'm going to say yes to it. And then I'm just going to figure out later. 
2019, I started with 200 LinkedIn connections, a network that I just about formed, an Instagram that I couldn't handle. So we had an awesome social media intern helping us, a massive vision, and I was starting a new job. 2020 January, I have six and a half thousand uh, LinkedIn connections, two TED Talks and all the great other achievements, right? But in January last year, I had Royal Mail get in touch, being like, oh, we've heard um, great things about you. We would like you to come to a webinar. And I was like, I don't know where you've heard these things, but I'm definitely going to do it. Santander got in touch and they were like, well, we want you to come for a whole day and give a workshop on confidence and imposter syndrome. So imagine for a whole day, they didn't pay me for this, but I still went. And then the most exciting one was BBC Radio 5 Live got in touch and they were like, we want you to come and give us your thoughts on Brexit. And at 5am, I still went outside Westminster and sat in a tent and spoke about Brexit. That's right. And I had very little clue about Brexit. Not going to put my hands up, but I had 48 hours to really upskill myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. And, and essentially have you, have you got like, um, feedback from the people that have been at your workshops or webinars, uh, from those companies like Royal Mail and stuff, have they come back and said, Oh, wow. Like this, obviously I loved it. And, you know, have they come into joining your enterprise, your social enterprise by itself after that? Or has it kind of just like, yeah, so no, so the, the same companies have been very fruitful in my growth. So obviously sitting here now, we're a full-fledged business. We have a commercial angle, so there is a payment involved in kind, and we have a social enterprise and not-for-profit. The same companies that have helped me to establish my practices are the, or that have helped me to, um, you know, they, they may not have paid me, and I have no shame in saying that now but they definitely gave me the boost of confidence that I needed to prove that I could do this. And because I was going into a new job, I didn't really feel like the money was the main driver. Now it's different because this is my livelihood, but at that point it was about practice. And so it was something along the lines of, you know, the first quarter in 2019, I did about, you know, four workshops. And then you started kind of those numbers started doubling. And it was around um, the second half of 2020, where both the money started flowing in, but most importantly, that credibility, the testimonials and the referrals. And the biggest workshop I had was, I was invited to give a workshop to the founders of Candy Crush in Berlin. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> and it was crazy, but do you know what was crazier is that someone who referred me was referred, sorry, the person who referred me, I was referred to them via the workshop that I did at Royal Mail. That's that's just how it works. That's exactly, it's back to your point. Like sometimes you need to do these free things. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's quite it's quite um, funny you said that, you know, it was like a ho- you treat it as a hobby. You know, it was like, oh, I'll just do this because it, it's a fulfilling hobby, right? But then now the focus has completely changed into, you know, you need to make this a commercially viable business. But that's why... At the end of Feb this year, I lost my passion because the hobby was no longer a hobby. The hobby was exactly. making scheme, which I just wasn't into. So it's not the money's not important, but I had to really take a step back and think, I am the brand, I am the image. I do consultancy under my brand name. I do the public speaking under my brand name. I don't do it by LMF because LMF is 
is basically umbrella group. We have tons of very amazing, valuable people that can work with us and work for us. But we want to enable that pocket of money that does come in commercially for us to help the future of tomorrow. So, you know, in two years time, I want us to have a pot of money that we can invest into future businesses. By the end of 2020, I want to work with charities, most definitely one in Pakistan, where any extra money or funding that we have left over, we can give to them so they can enable young girls into these subjects and into education. So it's how are we using that kind of platform to enable change, to drive um, those kind of opportunities and resources. And then how am I using me as my personal brand now to drive that commercial element? And that is significantly so important to think about when it comes to like personal branding, when it comes to your own kind of market. But most importantly, when it comes to you're on this planet for like a hundred odd years, right? You might as well do what you enjoy. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think what, what, what one more thing I wanted to ask on this is like, have you, you know, you're upskilling females that want to kind of better themselves and better their and men, and not men. just females. Okay, so we're, we're upskilling absolutely everyone. everyone. It's just we're a female friendly or woman friendly platform. So we provide those safe and inclusive spaces that enable everyone to come. So that probably trails off into what I was going to say. It's like you're upskilling people and understanding their issues and difficulties, but maybe from, you know, from the female sides or female perspective, has there been something that's, you know, reoccurring in every interaction or every environment you've tried to, you know, help and give them the space or safe uh, area where they can actually talk to you about their problems. And more importantly, you can actually relate to it, which is a, a massive issue in current, you know, climates where people are, you know, portraying a lot of stuff, but they're not able to relate. And this is coming back to the issue of inclusivity, where, you know, we can have these great corporations that have, you know, networks and all this kind of stuff but who is the person or people that are driving this and how do they relate to the issues that employees or you know workers or such things are portraying um has there been like a a common theme that you've noticed in that kind of your interactions and your workshops yeah that's an awesome question um one of the things that i really pride myself on is the same themes the topics that come in and recur are exactly what my workshops are based on when it when I do deliver them to corporate so that I'm enabling that bridge and that gap. Some common themes that come up are the lack of um the lack of relatable senior leaders that women or those who identify as kind of non-binary um gender fluid can look up to and that they feel like their stories are attainable. And I'm not talking about someone who's been working in industry for 40 years and has, you know, a really vast story. I'm talking about someone who's been work, working in industry for eight to 10 years and their story is attainable. Like you can actually follow their journey. So that's one. The second is the skills. So I say that we teach life skills. We teach basic skills, starting from negotiation and how to have the confidence in uh, directing those kind of conversations to work in your benefit to um to navigating imposter syndrome right so those are two very common conversations or threads that we get when um those who kind of identify as non-typical macho confident males come into the room and that's you know basically everyone else because the men also come to us and say we, we don't know how to negotiate or kind of be more assertive and we don't know how to tackle imposter syndrome. And 
the last one is very much this goes back to company culture and it's again about inclusivity the last one is about how companies are not supporting um the inclusivity and how companies are not supporting them to to grow and to enable uh, they they're not enabling their growth in this industry but also they're not making it easy for them to enter or to progress a really ex- easy example being I provided a corporate workshop last year uh, to one of the big four, massive, you know, consultancy. And their team mentioned that on the job description, they've written um, travel occasionally, right? So you're already thinking about the fact that a consultancy, regardless of what team it was, says travel occasionally, which stereotypically means that I'm going to travel all the time. They're going to tell me when I need to go the next day and I'm never going to have time with my family. When I got to the team meeting, I was providing the training. We went through their job descriptions and tried to make it more gender inclusive. They said, oh, you don't actually have to travel. Travel is optional. And you don't even have to come to the office. You know, you can work from home three days a week. So I was like, so why have you put that on your job description? They were like, oh, because... Um, because people like to travel, so we thought it would it would, it would engage with more. Um, it will make us look more cool, basically. I was like, so you haven't even understood that there are candidates out there, regardless of their gender, who have responsibilities. They have a different lifestyle. They have a life. Um, they don't have kind of the financial stability. Maybe they live too far away from your your head office. You've just taken all of them out of the mix because you think that your language sounds cool. And that was it, it was cool, and it wasn't. So the last thing that often comes up is that companies are not creating these environments for them to flourish and for them to really grow because they're not enabling, or like you've said, the word that you used is they haven't empathized with their situation and they're not really um, kind of taking that on board. Yeah. So the funny thing is when you, when you mentioned some of the stuff that you were talking about, like in, in helping people, you said um, imposter syndrome and negotiation. And I'm, as soon as you were saying that it came back to the conversation you had in your um, what's it called probation meeting. And, you know, obviously that was a lot of uh, negotiation that had to be taking part in that situation. There was a lot of, I think maybe you were, as you said, happy-go-lucky, and you were just saying yes to everything. In a way, that's imposter syndrome as well. And you've kind of, it's quite amazing how you've turned that again. You've come the other side and you've actually said, look, I've learned from these issues or experiences that I've actually encountered and how do I now help people in bettering themselves, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things, one of those things that's you just reason. said. Sorry, to, yeah, that's the reason. It's because I was that person I don't want ever anyone to feel like they were they have to be that person or they will be that person. Same as why now I do a lot more with schools and secondary schools is because when I was in sixth form, I took further maths. When I, I was a chemistry major in GCSEs, I really wanted to go into that field with that subject. I freaked out when I was picking my um, choices at university because I didn't see anyone like me doing hard kind of science subjects. I didn't know what I could become. And so I took business. For me, business was my secondary option. For many people, it's their first option. Of course it is. But for me, it's I didn't know what else to do. And so it gave me enough skill sets for me to be able to do anything. And so now I go back to secondary schools and um, 
you know, sixth forms and even universities to say, look, if you want to do it, you can do it. And if you don't see anyone like you, then then be confident enough to enter that room and be the change leader so that people can come after you because of the difference that you've made. And yeah. that's the kind of message I'm trying to instill in, in everyone around me purely because it works. It's, it's, it's a great, great situation to be in. And I, I really, I actually, it's really cool what you're trying to do as well. It's obviously it's working and you're getting the engagement, which is great. Unfortunately, the situation we're in now, but I'm sure everything will bounce back and, you know, kind of go on the path that it's, it's, it's supposed to. And, um, you know, I'm But even with the situation, right. We were meant to be in the situation. Eventually yeah. the situation will come. Yeah. So you know, all these corporates, all these companies, these individuals, these communities who are saying we're digitally ready, we're ready for the fourth industrial revolution, we're ready for technology to take over, we're, we are, we're in a place. Actually, now they're struggling. It's all, it was right. all talk. It was all talk. Exactly. The same companies who um, told me very much, the same companies who told me that they didn't have practice in place for work from home, Equally, the same companies who told me they did have practice in place from work from home are the same companies that are messaging me saying, can you please train our staff so that we understand how to work from home, right? <laughs> it's so, all talk. It's literally that. The point being is that we needed this. We needed this change. We needed this pivot. It's only going to work in our favor. It's going to take some time. But what it will mean is those um, unable candidates, those people with health issues, those people that didn't want to commute that far, but still wanted to work in, you know, quote unquote, London, they don't actually have to travel there. So why were they not given the option before? And what it will enable, I really hope it will, is inclusivity. It's a cultural shift. It's a, it's a mindset shift. And it will also make us think about, you know, how comes this was not in anyone's contingency plans? Yeah. Why are companies now losing profit all of a sudden? Why was it, why was being digital when you know the world is digital, not in your contingency plan, including myself, right? I'm no kind of, you know, no, um, I'm also a victim to this. But what it does mean is this pivot is so necessary for the future. And what I love about it is, I love two things about it. One, I love, and this kind of goes into politics, I love that the same low-skilled workers that two months ago were being asked to leave the country are the ones who are now saving our lives, right? I love that because I'm a low-skilled, um, I'm a child of a low-skilled worker or of, of someone who identifies as a working-class family. So, you know, where, where's our just desserts then? And secondly, it's the fact that we are now identifying that technology and access to education technology is a basic human right and everyone should have it. How can you ask someone to learn? How can you ask students to study? How can you ask people to work when they can't even afford technology or internet or don't have access to those resources? How can we ask them to help with our companies? So I love it because, you know, I and if it, if it doesn't get questions, I will definitely raise the questions afterwards. But this is a this is a basic kind of a conversation on human rights and what our basic needs should be and what we should be receiving at the end of the day, even through the benefit system. What should we be having? What should we I be agree. part it, of? It's just like it's it's this whole situation. Like I was telling you earlier, when we were just talking before, and it's just like it's going to uncover so much in terms of 
the cultural shift and you know the the view of people have on brands and companies and how people work and what we're expected to do um and you're completely right there it's gonna it, it's it's a great way of seeing it it's gonna take some time but i'm sure um in the long run it's gonna kind of just you know open up a lot of avenues and understanding what we need to do and yeah back to your the unskilled sort of um point that you just made like you know people was well, I saw the government just passed the bill about or some law about you know the NHS workers whose visas are going to expire who are obviously working from or they've come from different countries who are visas going to expire in October they've indefinitely just been extended without any any issues whatsoever um and they are going really? to be because is that what it was cuz i saw that they only have one year and then they don't know what the next steps are so i haven't I haven't seen the one where they're indefinitely extended. So they, they, this, I, I saw news like two days ago. Is essentially there was a lot of after last year's you know vote and well not vote but the decision that it was actually going through in terms of Brexit and stuff. Then they said something about you know a year. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like a year and then you're out. Um, however, they passed something. There was a law which I read on like on Twitter randomly, but it just said you know after the the ones that are gonna be. Um, their visas are going to end in October, but they've said it's it's been extended as, essentially without any issues. And that was one of the... Yeah, so it's extended only for one year though. Yeah, I mean, but at, they, were, they weren't even willing to negotiate that before, were they? And all of a sudden, it's yeah, just but like... We yeah, but equally, they should have extended for a year. You should be allowed to live here because you have saved so many lives. Exactly. You are risking your life. They shouldn't even be a question. What's one year going to do? You should be praising these people and equally the same people you know and I've always had an issue and I, I'll say this really openly uh those who are in the media from tv presenters to footballers I don't understand why they're paid so much and I never will but these doctors these nurses these key workers who are saving your lives they are making a tenth and sometimes you know a fifth of what someone is making and they are going out every day like we are risking our teachers are we risking our students for key workers or those who come from kind of um, backgrounds that they need to be in school for them to be educated? We're risking our our family members who are NHS workers. We are, you know, risking even the people that work in Tesco. Yeah. As, as a basic. And yet, so where are all these celebrities that were, you know, once kind of pra praising praising the kingdom and saying that they would help? And I'm not saying that some of them aren't helping. I'm talking about the vast majority that it will make us change the way we think about people, the statuses that we place on people, the pyramid that we live in, the hierarchy. And really, you know, I, I'm grateful that these kind of key workers have been given a year, but I think they should be given longer because they've done a lot more for us in six weeks than most people have done in six, 70, 80 years of living here. I mean, it even goes down to the point the three, I think the first three doctors that had unfortunately passed away who work for the NHS are, you know, from um, migrant backgrounds. They're they're yeah. all Muslims, and you know nobody. I mean, I, I've seen Al Jazeera talking about this. I've not seen it anywhere else apart from international, you know, websites that are actually making noise and saying, "Look, guys, like this is crazy." And I I admire them so much. And it's exactly what you said. Like it's not. I mean, a year is nothing, but they shouldn't have. Should they shouldn't have to prove the fact that oh, one year is enough. It, they're they're risking their lives as it is, and it's quite, it's crazy, man. Like it's just like, 
But it, my my original point was like they changed the law or they changed the decision within the, within a the click of a finger. There was no issue about it, and you know. Yeah, we were having this discussion at home, um, and obviously by the time I guess this pod comes out, it might be redundant. We might have moved on from like this exact conversation, but we were saying even the fact of like homelessness or those that necessarily didn't have a shelter over with click of a finger, you know, everyone's got a roof over their head or we can make that go away quite quickly. Yeah. Money was there. Money was there. And that's it. But what it, what it proves is not just the money, but when the unity and the communication and the community come together and when there's a united front for a united cause, we can do anything and everything. And that sense of community has never been stronger. And I definitely think that communities are the future of this world how we come together collaboratively how we um fight for again a cause that means so much to us and a community is anyone who's kind of two people or more right you don't need to be a thousand people but you just need to be in your mindset loud enough and and kind of brave enough to make that change and we're seeing the change around us and you know it's possible yeah power of each other essentially um but I think that's that's great. I mean, if you're happy to do that, I'm 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 really happy to end on that note. I mean, it's been fantastic catching up, and uh, I'm sure further down the line, once this whole cloud clears up, I'll definitely touch base with you again, and you know how the business is going, and you know what what actually has come out of it, because I think there's there's going to be a lot that you'll probably get firsthand kind of information on of how this sort of COVID situation has affected businesses and how is that translating into actual work life and skilling up and all that kind of good stuff. Um, so I'm definitely going to be in touch again and then we can probably touch base and, you know, exchange a bit more of an idea because it's been, you know, amazing to catch up and understand from your viewpoint what's happened and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot for your time, Sonia. And, um, no, of course. Yeah. I mean, uh, anyone listening, we're actually recording this on at like 8 p.m. on a Friday night. Yeah. So this is what we do. Yeah. On <laughs> a Friday. Weekend, but, so no, of course, you know, you can kind of, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, Sonia Barlow. You can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. So Sonia Barlow UK. And if you'd like to follow our network, it is inclusive and open for everyone. It's at LMF Network. Um, and we are global. So don't even hesitate to kind of reach out, share your comments, your thoughts, and let me know how I can really help you. I'm definitely going to be plugging all those links as soon as this sort of <laughs> podcast is on. So yeah, definitely give, give her a follow and um, we'll definitely be touching base soon. And hopefully this podcast has been amazing and the recording quality, which I'm fingers crossed, fingers crossed will be great uh, because there's been great content and conversation. So thank you so much, Sonia. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll touch base again soon and I'll drop you a message, you know, whenever everything sorts out. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Amazing. Thanks so much.